Hi everyone, welcome to the Bible Project podcast. I'm going to launch straight off today into the podcast because we've got a little bit more to try and get through in the time available. And we're continuing to look at the story of Babel and what it teaches us and what the lessons that can be learned. Now, as I said at the close of the last episode, I'm going to call, in a sense, as evidence upon the lives of two great figures from world history, people who I believe throw some insight into what one of the things this passage is warning us about, and they are John Milton and Karl Marx. First of all, looking at John Milton, the ideas which John Milton developed in his epic poem, Paradise Lost, are so profound that They've almost been incorporated into the biblical lexicon of Christian thought in most people's minds. I would say that the body of Christian thought post-Milton, particularly in the West, is saturated with Milton's insight to the nature of Satan and his rebellion against God. It's only in the biblical texts very briefly, and there's not a lot of detail or explanation, But Milton himself said, he wrote Paradise Lost, and listen to this for a claim, in order to justify the ways of God to man, which is quite some claim, isn't it? That's an amazing and a profound ambition for anybody approaching a literary work. To try and produce a work that would explain and justify the morally complex actions of God as described in the Bible and what they mean to the human race. But that is what Milton said he was trying to do. Now, in Milton's Paradise Lost, Satan is seen as an sort of intellectual figure. And you see that motif emerging very frequently throughout creative history, right up even today in today's modern popular culture. When you see the archetype of any evil villain or evil character, whether it's the latest Bond villain or even in children's movies like the figure of Scar in The Lion King or Shere Khan in The Jungle Book, they are all in a sense satanic figures, satanic archetypes. The body is nearly always an intellectual. Popular motifs are that of the evil scientist or the evil second in command or even the malevolent advisor to a king. It amazes me that all over the world, cinemas are packed all the time because people recognise this popular archetype being portrayed, but that yet they still don't recognise the original as revealed and disclosed here in our Bible. Satan, within the biblical text, is revealed to be the highest angel in God's heavenly kingdom, someone with extraordinary intellect and talent. He's referred to as the bright shining star. He had an intellect and an ability that shone over all the other heavenly beings. Satan, as depicted in Milton's Paradise Lost, decides that he is so bright, so much a shining star, that he can do without God. And that's why he ferments rebellion. The immediate consequence from Milton's perspective was that soon as Satan decided that he could be self-sufficient was the point at which he decided he could do without God. Now, Milton was a great visionary, I believe. He was, in a sense, a prophet of the age that he existed in. And I also believe that the true poets and the great writers today are like prophets because, in a sense, they catch so much of the human condition that they can catch a glimpse of the future. Maybe at the higher level, the prophetic mind 
is just a pattern detector. People who can detect the underlying rhythms of the signs of the times. They can tune into God's word at such a deep level that they can see how it might play out across the rhythm of a whole nation. Such people will always have a deep knowledge of the Bible, but at the same time, they're in touch with the fundamental patterns of human activities. And they can extrapolate truth out of it and thereby bring the things together and see into the future and clearly see what's coming. They are very good at detecting the patterns and rhythms of God's word, but as it applies and plays out in the world. Milton, I believe, was that sort of prophetic person, and the prophetic warning was embedded in his famous poem, Paradise Lost. There are other people like Milton, Alexander Solzhenitsyn more recently, or even, from a non-Christian perspective, Friedrich Nietzsche, in and around 1860, Nietzsche, the philosopher, prophesied what was going to happen in the 20th century. He said specifically that the spectre of communism would, would kill millions of people in the following century. And that is an amazing prophecy. He said that in the notes of his book that is called Will to Power. Now that thinking was of course taken and abused by the Nazis. So he had the foresight to see what was coming, but maybe not recognised from the different aspects and political directions through which it might arise. But I do believe that he had the foresight and he saw the rise of more and more powerful use of technology and as it became more effective that he believed that it would create systems that would try and dispense with God. Today, as recently as 2008, we had near economic collapse in the world. And an idea emerged politically that had not really been seen before, one that had not really been written about in the economic mainstream either. But that idea in response to the crisis was quickly adopted all around the world. And that idea was one that was called too big to fail. And that was the reason why the banks were all propped up with public money all around the world. But I personally believe that Babel warns that something can in fact become too big to stand, too big to survive. Now Karl Marx, who I mentioned earlier, believed that the flow of capital will always go into fewer and fewer hands, controlled by fewer and fewer people, and that the disassociation between the rich and the poor would become more and more extreme as capitalism developed. And it is kind of true, there is something about the distribution of wealth, which is called the Pareto principle or the Pareto pattern, which basically means that a small proportion of people end up with the bulk of goods. But what Marx didn't recognize at the time and is now being seen is, is that principle doesn't just apply to money. It can be applied to anything, anything that we create, both in the physical world and in the arts world. It's what economists call the Matthew Principle, which interestingly, they name after and take from a statement made by Jesus in the New Testament. And that statement, if you want to go and look it up, is taken from Matthew 25, contained within the parable of the talents, where he says, to those who have everything, more will come, and from those who have nothing, everything will be taken. Now, in the text, of course, Jesus is talking about riches in heaven and using it to symbolize the riches stored up in heaven by the talents and wealth we have on earth. But Marx noted that this was a feature of the capitalist system. 
But the reason I believe he was wrong is that it was not just specific to the capitalist system. It's a feature that is general to all systems of creative production that we know about. This is so much now recognized as a natural principle of economics that economics is now recognized as a science and it's taught as a science because the distribution of wealth can be modeled by mathematical models. Prediction can be made about economic outcomes using the same equations that govern things like scientific and physical models in the world. Now, the other reason many people to believe today that Marx was wrong is that even though the fruit of all creativity tends to end up in the hands of a small number of people, the top 1% end up with the lion's share of resource, power and influence. But he also noted that that 1% were continually failing. So it's not the same people at the top. It's not the same individual people. It may be that tiny small proportion of people, but the same people making up that small group at the top is changing all the time. Now, the conspiracy theorists will love to tell you that there's a small group of men at the top of society controlling everything all the time. Now, the level of control may differ slightly from culture and culture around the world, and though the principle may stand, but there is always continual change in the upper 1%. And one of the main reasons for that is things get so large that they collapse, just like it did in the Babel story. So in 2008, when the politicians said too big to fail, I personally believe they got that backwards as far as I can tell. It's the reverse. The statement should be, it was so big, it had become so big that it had to fail. And that is what I think is one of the main warnings in the story of the Tower of Babel. It's a warning against arrogance, but it's also a warning against totalitarianism. So there are some really profound truths being pointed out here in the story in the Tower of Babel. But the Tower of Babel warns us against something else. And I'd like us to come back and look at that in the next episode. So I'll hopefully see you all back here very soon at the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.